glad that you're here and worshiping with your moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, um, lots of kids in our last two services as well. And uh, we're proud of you guys and love being in the journey with you. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. <coughs> thank you that, that you love our kids more than we ever could. God, help us to always be a church that passes on the faith to the next generation so that they might do the same for their kids and grandkids. This is what you call us to, Jesus, and I pray that you would, you would find us faithful. Now, as we look into your word, God, would you lead and guide our, our thoughts, our wills, our minds, draw us close to you and close to each other in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, it's good to be with you guys. A, a couple things before we dive into uh, this next message uh, in our exhausted series, which really brings this series to a conclusion. I want to let you know what's happening next weekend, a really special uh, weekend um, at our Sandusky campus. Uh, we have a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been going to seminary. He's, uh, he needs to do an internship for his seminary uh, training. And he has joined our team doing a pastoral internship with us here at the chapel. And next weekend, Jeremiah is going to be sharing the message. His message title is, Why God Digs the Disabled. Is that cool or what? Like, Jeremiah, he's just like out there with who he is and what God is doing. And uh, you're going to get to be a part of that weekend and um, celebrate with us. So we very much hope that you'll make that a priority and, and be with us. And thank you for your sweet kindness. <laughs> I've had this, like, uh, I promise, not COVID. I'm past that now. But uh, yeah, uh, the, the tickle and the, oh, thank you, <laughs> refreshment. Thank you, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> so we want to dive into what we want to talk about this weekend. And, and to, to launch us into that, I want us to think about together a a profound prayer, first coined in, I think, in 1932 by Richard Niebuhr, a prayer that's been made very popular by the organization Alcoholics Anonymous. Would you read this prayer with me? Let's say it together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You know, that's a profound prayer, a prayer seeking peace and serenity in the midst of the things that we face in life. But I wonder why is it that so oftentimes we aren't living experiencing that serenity? We're not experiencing that peaceful steadfastness in our lives. And I think it's because there's something in us oftentimes that is keeping us from experiencing the answer to this prayer. And what is it? We want to be in control, don't we? I mean, I know I do. I'm more of a control freak than I'd like to admit. Uh, even though I might not uh, come out in strong ways to, to control things, there's more subtle things in my life where, where that control seeps out. And it's not that uh, we shouldn't have self-control. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, what we're talking about is this ongoing need and desire that sometimes drives our lives 
to control circumstances, situations, and even people. And the thing is, having control of all those things is really a facade. It's fake. It's, not, it's impossible. And yet we strive and spend so much energy trying to control the things around us. And as a result, we end up exhausted. We're tired out because we're trying to control things that perhaps we were never meant to be in control of. Our bottom line this weekend uh, is that what, what will often happen is when we're trying to be in control, we'll end up out of control. And control is rooted in our fears. <laughs> when you think about it, uh, the, the fear of rejection so what do we do? We try to control other people's thoughts about us, and then we become people pleasers like we talked about last weekend, right? But it's based out of fear, and it turns into control, or the fear that our children will make bad decisions. And so what do we try to do? Nothing wrong with rules, guidelines. Every child needs that. But then sometimes we take it a step further as parents or grandparents, and we try to control the behavior of our kids. And at the end of the day, I always say it. Whether they're 2 or 22 or 72, people will do what they want to do. We're not in control of one another. Or the, the fear uh, that our outer beauty will fade. And so what do we do? We try to take control. And nothing wrong with eating healthy and working out. All those things are good. But sometimes we're driven by an insecurity or a fear about our own body image. And then it drives us to try to be in control. And when we can't control it, then... We just lose it. Or the fear that our politicians won't make the decisions that we or I feel best. And man, it's a, I mean, it's such a tumultuous, divisive time. And some of that stems from our desire to try to control things. And we can't. <laughs> or the fear that the market will crash. And so we try to control our finances. Or, or some of you, you're with me, you're like, uh, the market? I'm just trying to pay the bills on Friday. Like, let alone have money to invest in the market. And yet, wherever you're at on the financial spectrum, it's something that we can oftentimes try to just wield in and buckle down and control things. And then things happen in our lives that are out of our control. The transmission drops out of our car or, or one of the appliances goes bad or, or somebody gets injured and the health insurance doesn't cover as much as we thought it would. And, and now we're going crazy because we're not in control. Or ultimately, the fear that my desires and my dreams won't come true. And so what do we do? We try to control. We're dreaming like, when am I going to meet Mr. Wright? Truth be told, some of you are here. You're like, is he here? <laughs> That's a real desire and a, a good desire. But then when, when fear creeps in and insecurity creeps in, and then we try to control the outcome of our destiny and control people and get him, or the, 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 the the issues of insecurity and fear lead to control, which leads to exhaustion. Our bottom line this weekend is that being in control will often 
lead to eventually us being out of control. I'm not saying not self-control. I'm saying when we're striving, when we're grasping to control all things, oftentimes that will lead to us being out of control. We'll end up doing things, saying things that we never dreamed or imagined we would do because of our desire and need to control. Now, I want us to look at two different stories from the Scriptures this morning. The first is the story of Saul, who would be king of the Israelite nations. The second is a story that really illustrates the freedom and beauty that can happen in our lives when we actually let go of control. Saul's story is really a story of the negative impact of trying to control all things. Now, Saul's story, we, we kind of pick up on it in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. It says, his, his, that is Benjamin's son named Saul, was the most handsome man in Israel. Head and shoulders, taller than anyone else in the land. Now, this is significant because at the time, the people of Israel, they were looking at the surrounding nations, and all the other nations, they had kings. And so they were going to God saying, we want a king. Hey, everybody else has got a king. We need a king. And God's saying, well, I'm your king. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 we want a king. We want a person. In fact, we've got our eye on somebody. His name is Saul. I mean, look at him. He's a stud. I mean, he, he's got military might. He's strong. He's strapping. And it says that he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. Even by his posture, it carried power and influence and perhaps even control. And finally, God, because the people would not relent, God said, okay, you want a king. And if that's who you really want... You know what one of the scariest things about God is? Is that sometimes he will give us our way. Even when our way sometimes is not the right way. And so God gives the people Saul as their king. And yeah, he was good looking on the outside, but the problem with Saul was that the interior of his life did not at all match the exterior. In fact, Saul, although he was so strong and strapping, inside he was like a little boy. He was so insecure. And because of that insecurity and because of his own fears, he became a control freak. So much so that, that he, he demands that, uh, that everybody follow him and do what he says. And what we're going to see in Saul's story is that when we try to be the ones in control, it pushes God out of the picture of our lives. That's what happened in Saul's life, and it's what can happen in your life and my life when we take things into our own hands and try to control, it pushes God out of the picture. So the story is Saul, uh, Saul, Saul uh, is about to take his men out to battle. The enemy's pressing in. And uh, God tells Saul that he needs to do one thing before the men go out to battle. He says, make a sacrifice to me. Now, a sacrifice in that day, it was a symbol of the people's trust in God. It was a way for the people to worship God, to honor God, to say, we'll do what you ask us to do. 
And so they were to make this sacrifice before they went into the battle. The problem was uh, the sacrifice was supposed to not be made by Saul, but was supposed to be made by Samuel. That's the one that God had appointed to make the sacrifice on behalf of the people. The problem was, evidently, Saul couldn't get a hold of Samuel. Samuel wasn't moving on it quick enough for Saul's likings. And so Saul goes ahead and gives the offering to God, even though God said Samuel was the one to bring the offering. It's interesting because, so it's kind of like Saul did what God told him to do, just not fully. He did offer a sacrifice before they went to the battlefield, but he was the one that made the sacrifice when God said Samuel's the one to make the sacrifice. It was partial obedience, which partial obedience really isn't obedience at all. And so we pick up the story as now Samuel is confronting Saul because Saul pushed God out of the picture, took matters into his own hand. Samuel says, how foolish, Saul. You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Did you catch that? Samuel's saying, Saul, you have really blown it, man. You took things into your own hands. You didn't obey fully what God had said, and now because of it, you are going to lose the kingdom. And then he says in verse 14, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord God has sought out a man after his own heart. That is, a man that would do what God asked him to do and do it fully. He says, the Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the, the Lord's commands. Isn't it interesting that the thing that Saul was trying to protect and control is the very thing that he would lose power of and have to give up? And man, the same thing can happen in your life and my life. When we try to control things that are not meant to be in our control, oftentimes those are the very things that we will lose. And in the process of trying to be in control, we personally will become out of control. And what do we do? We push God out of the picture. John Tyson puts it this way. He says, when we take things into our own hands, we take them out of God's and disaster ensues. And that was Saul's story, and that can be your story and my story. I think about, man, when I was 17 years old, junior in high school, I wanted a motorcycle. And I mean, I wanted a motorcycle. Like, there was a couple other guys in my class that were, they got motorcycles, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I didn't have the money saved up because I, you know, I, I earned money, I worked hard, but I, I spent money, you know. And, uh, but, but, you know, I, it was something that I wanted and I, you know, felt like I'd prayed about it, you know, and, well. So, so in this process of wanting the motorcycle, it, it seemed like all these roadblocks kept coming up. Like, 
I would think, okay, I, I'm going to try to find one. I, and I just couldn't find one, not for a price that I could afford. And then I thought, well, maybe I just need to take out a loan. So then I, I even went down to the bank and I talked to a, a loan person and they're like, well, we'd love to help you, Todd. You know, I mean, I'm 17 years old. They're like, but yeah, you can't get a loan all by yourself. You're going to need a co-signer. So then what did I do? I pushed more. I'm like, well, we can, we can handle that. And, and I went to my grandpa, and I asked him to co-sign a loan for me. And so then finally he did that. And so now I'm ready. And so I'm waiting for a motorcycle, just looking every day, in the because this was in the want ads. This was like before, you know, you could just look at it on your phone and find it. I had to go through the paper, um, like a paper, a piece of paper, a, a document that you would have to. And so I'm going through the paper every day looking for motorcycles. And then I, I find this one that looks like a deal. I mean, what a deal. It was like $900 used motorcycle. And so then I tried to get a hold of the guy. I couldn't get a hold of the guy. The guy wasn't calling me back all the while. I'm just feeling these roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. But guess what I was doing? Pushing it. Why? I wanted it. And, and I'm, I'm slowly edging God out of the equation so that I can make happen what I want to happen. Finally, I did get a hold of the guy, and he said, oh, yeah, you can come look at the bike. And I, I went and looked at the bike, and he had one of his other buddies with him, you know, and I looked at it, and then I took it for a little test drive. I'm like, oh, man, this thing looks, I mean, this looks too good to be true. I mean, it's in great shape, and the price, and, and so, so I, I, I mean, I, I got the loan, I signed the papers, I bought the motorcycle. Man, it was awesome. I mean, I pulled into Lakeshore High School parking lot. Like, hmm. I wore, I, I drove, rode my motorcycle to my graduation ceremony. And uh, I mean, with the black gown. And, like, and I, I, for two and a half weeks, I rode that motorcycle. And then I was out with a buddy. And you know, another one of the, one, I was with another guy in high school that had a bike. So like, now there's two of us like, we're a gang. And we're cruising down the road. We come to a stop sign downtown, and, uh, and uh, my bike just kind of putters out. And so, I, you know, so then I'm so humbled. You know, I try to restart real quick, and people are honking. That is humbling. And then, and then I'm, like, literally walking my motorcycle off of the road into a parking lot, and I'm trying to start it, and nothing. And so I take it to, so I take it to a, a mechanic. And for, like, a week, I hadn't heard anything from him. And so then I called him, and, and, he, and I said, hey, I'm just calling to check in on the bike, everything. You know, I figured, you know, it's like carburetor issue, something. And uh, he's like, yeah, I was going to call you. He's like, yeah, uh, yeah, it's bad. I'm like, no, it's not. It looks awesome. <laughs> but it was what was on the inside that was the problem. He's like, Todd, I don't know how to tell you this, but it looked, I, I had to open up the whole crankcase. I, I got in there. It looks like somebody, somebody was already in here, and they saw the problems. You got antifreeze in your oil, oil in your antifreeze. This is going to be expensive. He goes, I, I think somebody looked at it, and they just, they just said, oh, this is going to be too much. And they lubed her up, slapped it back together, and <laughs> they offloaded it. On you. At this point, I'm, I mean, I've spent the whole $1,000 loan because, I mean, I had to get a leather jacket and a, and a helmet. And I said, how much is it? He goes, I, he's like, this is, 
I mean, this is going to be probably about 650 bucks to fix all this. I'm like, how, how much do I owe you right now? He goes, well, pro I've got pro probably about 300 bucks into it, just, you know, examining it and figuring out what was wrong. And I knew, I just knew. It wasn't what God wanted. He was trying to tell me all along, and I just kept, nope, I'll make it happen. And I got it. And finally, I'm talking to the mechanic, and I said, so how much do I owe right now? He said, it's like 300 bucks. And I literally, I'm on the phone, I'm like, I'll tell you what, how about you just keep the bike, and we call it even. And I walked away. I'm still telling the story. It's 20-some years later. It was such a big lesson in my life. And I wish, I wish that I could say that I've learned fully. <laughs> Just trust God. And when, he's, when you feel him nudging you, don't go the opposite direction. Because deep down inside, we all want to be in control. And like John Tyson says, <laughs> when we take things into our own hands... We take it out of God's, and disaster ensues. It happened in Saul's life. He lo lost the whole kingdom because of his desire to control things. There's a second thing that happens that I see in, in Saul's story, and that is that being in control also damages our relationships with other people. So in the meantime, Saul's in charge, but uh, there's this guy named David, and David has been given a prominent position. David uh, went out and killed a giant, and all the people are raving about David. And as a result, deep down inside, Saul's insecurities just start rising up all the more. He knows he's going to lose the kingdom. In fact, he knows that David's going to be the next king. And everybody's liking David now. And so what does he do? He tries to take control. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, The next day an evil spirit from God forcefully came upon Saul. Now it's not that the evil spirit was God's spirit or from God, but God allowed this evil spirit to influence Saul. Why? Because Saul had already told God, Hey, I'm in control here. I'm going to do things my way. He had pushed God out of the picture of his life. And whenever we push God out of the picture in our, in our lives, it opens us up to other danger. And that's exactly what happens with Saul here. And so this evil spirit comes upon him, and he's prophesying in his house. And it says, while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, not like lying, liar, like like guitar, like kind of like guitar, singing. He's, he's praising God and singing songs and hymns and psalms. And usually that was a soothing, king, a soothing thing for Saul the king. But now Saul, all he does is as he looks at David, he's just filled with insecurity and fear and anger and rage. And in verse 10 and 11 it says, And Saul had a spear in his hand. And he hurled it at David saying, I'll pin him to the ball. I don't think he was like trying to like do one of these. No, he wanted to take him out. He wanted to control the situation. He wanted not just to control the situation. He wanted to control the people that God had placed in his life. 
And as a result, I mean, their, their relationship is damaged. Uh, David, I mean, he's now living in constant fear for his life. And even though Saul's going to lose the kingdom and David's supposed to be the heir apparent, it is a complete and utter mess. And you guys, the same thing happens in our lives. When we try to take control of people, guess what happens? When we try to control people, they feel what? Controlled. How many of you like being controlled by somebody? Some of you have been in bad relationships. Some of you have seen bad relationships where, where somebody's living with a control freak. Maybe some of us in the room are like, oh my gosh, that's me. Nobody likes to be controlled, and yet it's what we do to other people around us when we cave to our own insecurities and fears, just like Saul did. Because being in control will eventually lead to being out of control. Now, there's one more quick story that I want us to look at. This story is just the opposite. It's a story of what happens when we stop grasping for control and start grasping onto God, the one who is in control, and the incredible freedom that comes. A few weeks ago, we talked about the story of Daniel, and in that story, we came across three other young men, young Israelites. Their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And maybe now you're like, oh, I know that story. Fiery furnace, God protects them. Yeah, it's awesome, crazy story. But what we see is that they were willing to release control in their life. What had happened was this this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, um, who was a control freak himself, wanted all the credit, wanted all the, the accolades, wanted people's attention. In fact, he wanted people to worship him. That's how insecure he was. So much so that he builds a golden altar and tells everybody in the land, hey, you've got to worship me now. Every day you've got to bow down before the altar of me. <laughs> Now, this presented a, pres a problem to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because even though they were willingly uh, serving under the Babylonian king, he had taken them captive, given them a prominent place, given them training, given them opportunity, they weren't willing to do absolutely everything the king demanded because the king was demanding their worship. And as people of faith... They knew that there was only one God to give their worship to. In Daniel, uh, actually, I think this is chapter 3, verse 11 to 12, it says that that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. This was the king's law. This is how much of a control freak he was. If they don't do what I want, put them in a furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you. They pay no attention to you, majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. So this tattletale comes and says, hey, have you heard about these guys? I mean, they're, they're, they're serving you, and yet uh, they're not worshiping you. They aren't obeying your orders. Nebuchadnezzar realizes he's not in control, and so he, he buckles down. He says, oh, yes, they will, and he brings them before him. And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they replied, look at this, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. See, defensiveness is a way to try to control the situation, the outcome. 
They say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us. <laughs> he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. And then look at this, guys. Verse 18, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Man, I am in awe of these guys. That is faith. That is trust. That is literally putting your life on the line. And deep down inside, they knew our God can save us. He can rescue us, even if you throw us into the fiery furnace, which is what ended up happening. God rescues them, protects them. But they also knew the flip side, guys, and this is where we try to take control. They knew that it might not turn out how they hoped. That's why they say, even if. J.D. Greer puts it this way. He says, we need to replace what ifs with even ifs. Well, what if, what if they cut our pay? Or what if the factory shuts down? Well, even if I lose the job or the factory shuts down, I'm going to trust God to get us through. What, well, but what if, what if she leaves me? What if he leaves me? Well, even if he leaves me, she leaves me, I'm going to trust God to lead my life and provide for me. Well, well what, if, what if our kids do some things that we're not proud of and, and it, it, it kind of, you know, taints our name and they make some bad choices? Well, guess what? They will. What if we shifted? Well, you know what? Even if even if they disappoint me, even if they made some bad choices. We're going to love them anyway, or we're going to be a secure place for them to always come home to. Even if. What if? What, guys, what if leads to control, which is an illusion? But even if, that's trust. What if we stopped grasping to control things and started grasping for the God who is in control? You guys, it's a game changer. It means freedom. So let's end our service the way that we began. Would you say it with me? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Have a great rest of your weekend.